We thank you that the sun is shining. We thank you, Lord, that the water will be warm. And we thank you, Lord, that uh, the hearts of your children will be warm also. We just commit this word to you, Lord, and we ask, Lord, that you would um, give us revelation in our spirit, Lord. That it would, only, would not only just be words that uh, are heard and just washed away, Lord, but there would be some impartation this morning. Some impartation, Lord, in the spirits and the hearts and the souls of the people here, Lord, and there would be a, a great testimony of your work. In the mighty name of Jesus, everybody says, Amen. Hallelujah. Water baptism. There's a lot of reasons why we do it. And this morning, I'm going to preach about it. I'm going to tell you why we do it and, and just give you a little bit of background because it is important. It's, it's, that, it's that important that in Matthew 28, it's one of the things Jesus said to do. So Matthew 28, Jesus says to his disciples just before he's taken to heaven, Therefore, go. Everyone say, go. And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of ages. That's a great passage of Scripture. You know, no matter where you are, no matter what you do, Jesus is there with you. He will always be with you. You know, we all know that um, footprints thing that you get on the posters. And, uh, you know, I don't know if you've seen it, but there's two sets of footprints. And the story goes that this man, all through his life, there's two sets of footprints, except for the, the hardest parts of his life, there's only one. And, um, you know, this guy's praying one day and then he says, Lord, I don't understand. In my hardest and worst times, there's only one set of footprints. And Jesus says, well, that's where I'm carrying you. And, you know, that's the reality that Jesus is always with us. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He is always there. You know, we might leave him. We might forsake him, but he will never give up on you. Never. Never give up on you. He will always, always, always leave the door open. And this morning and today, you know, we're going to celebrate that uh, 14 or so people, you know, they've not only been saved, but they're making a commitment to God through baptism. And that commitment for them is that, you know, here I stand. I am making a dedication commitment in my own life. I'm doing it publicly so everyone can see. And I'm going to do it so that not only, sorry, that not only the people around me see, but also the Father in heaven sees. Baptism is a lot more than just a dunk in the water. It's symbolic and it is deeply spiritual. It's an event in a life, believe it, that's so important that Jesus himself was obedient to God the Father before his ministry began on the earth. So if you want to turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 14. Everyone wave if you bought your Bible. You've got to bring your Bible to church. Amen. For all the young, intelligent people that got this, you got it on your phone. Yeah. I can't figure that out yet. See, the best thing about this is you can hit people with it. No, no, sorry. Sorry, 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 sorry. John 1.14. The word which is Jesus became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning him. He cries out saying, This was he whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he has come before me. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side. He made him known. Now this was John's testimony. When the Jews of Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he, who he was, he did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Christ. They asked him, and who are you? Are you Elijah? 
He said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? He, said, he answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Is that good? Deep voice. Give us an answer that we can take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of the one calling in the desert, making straight the way of the Lord. Now some Pharisees who had been, who had been sent questioned him. Why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with the water, John replied. But among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who has come after me, the thongs of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the, on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day, everyone say the next day. The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he has come before me. I myself did not know him. But the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptize him with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen this and I testify that this is the Son of God. Wow. What a passage of Scripture. We only read a lot of Scripture today. So get your fingers Wet them up so you can turn the pages nice and easily. Okay, we're going to read a lot of scripture. John is the very first one that confesses Jesus as the Son of God. It is a watershed moment in the history of the world. You know, Jesus is born in a manger. He humbles himself and is born in a manger. You know, before, before that, Jesus was in heaven on a throne, worshipped. He decided to humble himself. He came to the earth, was born in a manger, grew up like any child was circumcised, was dedicated to God, went through the process of learning the, the Jewish scripture. And for all his young life, he kept a secret. He never told anyone. The Bible tells us that Mary stored these things up in her heart when it talks about Jesus' birth. And she never told anyone either. And for 33 or so years, that's the way it was. John comes along and he starts preparing the way. Now, John's an incredible guy. The courage of a man to go out and say something that's never been said before. Because he knows that God has told him to do it is an incredible thing. And that's what John did. Mark 9, 1, uh, sorry, Mark 1, 9 to 11, we read another account that says this. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. With you I am well pleased. Now we all know that Jesus was and is and always will be. John said this, this is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Jesus was before time, he will be after time. He was before the world, he'll be after the world. He has always been and always will be. That is how God, our King, the one that was willing to sacrifice his life for you and me and humble himself and be obedient. The whole point of the baptism of Jesus is that he was being obedient to the Father. He didn't have to get baptized because what John was doing is he was doing a baptism of sin. Well, Jesus never sinned. 
There was no reason for Jesus to be baptized except for his, the obedience that he had to the Father. You know, Jesus says at one point, it's a proper thing, it's the right thing to do. Who hates technology? I've got a gaffer tape this thing on, I think. <laughs> Luke 2, 39 and 40 says this, when Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the Lord, and it's talking about when Jesus was young, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong and with wisdom and grace. And in Galatians 1, verse 16 through to 20, we read this. And it's talking about Jesus. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created. Everyone say all. All things were created. All things were created. All. Bible college, we had a weak debate about what all means. And we came to the conclusion it meant all. Seriously, it took a week. I had people arguing, it doesn't mean all, it means some. It means all. All things were created by him and for him. That's something we don't often think about, is it? We were created for Jesus. He is before all things and in him, in him all things hold together. You know, without Jesus, things fall apart. Within our own lives, within the lives of friends, within the world, things fall apart when there's no Jesus. You look at what's happening at the moment in um, North Korea, a place where they, uh, you know, outlaw church. The place has fallen apart. He holds all things together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on a cross. It's no wonder at the time of Jesus' baptism, the heavens rent open. The Holy Spirit came down and descended on him like a dove. The creator and sustainer of all things was obedient to the Father. He chose obedience. Just try and picture this in your mind if you can. We're on the banks of a river. There's a guy called John. He's dressed in camel hair. He's got a leather belt around himself. He's pretty skinny and wiry. All he eats is locusts and wild honey. You know, he's not, he's not built like half the guys that are eating protein shakes every day in the church. He's getting plenty of protein from the lotus, but he's eating that and wild honey. And the people just flock to him. Because he's teaching something new, repentance of sin. You know, in the, uh, in the, Israel, in the Jewish belief, there is uh, once a year there's a sacrifice for sin. But what he's saying is, come and, and let's, you know, let's, let's do this baptism for sin. Repentance. You, you, you're sorry for what you've done. Let's do this. And that's what he's doing. Jesus rocks up. Now, John was an interesting character, I said before. Let me just read you very brief passage from Matthew about the way he talked to people these are these religious people that came up to ask him who he was he said this you brood of vipers who want you to flee from the coming wrath produce fruit in keeping with repentance and do not think you have uh, you can save yourself we you can say to yourself sorry we have Abraham as our father I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children of Abraham and that's us this morning we're all children of Abraham from the very stones, 
John the Baptist says that he can raise them up. He goes on to say, the axe is already at the root of the tree and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me will come one who's more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not fit to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hands and he will clear the threshing floor, carrying his weed out into the barn and burning up all the chaff with unquenchable fire. Sort of not a guy, not a guy you want to ask any questions to, is he? You definitely don't want to argue with him. And on that day when Jesus goes up to John the Baptist to be baptized, John says, I'm not worthy. I can't do it. John was a humble, obedient servant of God. He says, I can't do this. I, I know who you are. And I cannot do this. And Jesus says it's proper at this time for this to be done. So John the Baptist baptized him. Heaven is torn open. The Holy Spirit descends like a dove. The word of God comes down in an audible sense and said, this is my son with whom I am well, with him I am well pleased. And just picture that for a second. What an incredible part of history. What an incredible event where God finally reveals the answer to sin. After all those years, after all the pain, after all the suffering, the answer for sin has been revealed in baptism. What an incredible point of history. What an incredible time and event. A watershed of human history. From that point on, nothing would remain the same. Jesus' earthly ministry began with a bang. And that bang was the very skies being torn open. We've just celebrated Easter. And it's been great. We had a cross up here. For those of you that weren't here on um, Good Friday, we had a cross up here and we had some paper and everyone wrote down, illnesses or, or you know things that they wanted to nail to the cross and uh that morning gary and i were in here and we were praying over all the chairs and early in the morning and um gary was a bit dysfunction because he thought only 12 people were going to come up my gosh what a flood we had amen amen we had so many people come up it was a real move of god you know people you know were weeping and all sorts of things going on and we celebrated easter in a fabulous way in this church and Easter was another time when Jesus was obedient. Only on this first Easter, his obedience cost him a lot more than it did when he was baptized. John's baptism, well, the amazing thing about John baptizing Jesus is that uh, John's hands, the hands of a created being, took the creator of all that there is, held him and dunked him underwater. And that was the beginning of his earthly ministry. And then sat him back up again. Two hands of a man done this. It echoed through history and through creation that Jesus is here. Bang. His ministry starts and then we make our way to the cross. The cross is another point in history where man had their hands on Jesus. It only ever happened twice. Another time they tried to take Jesus and stone him and the Bible tells that he just walked straight through them. He did not waver. He did not wait. He knew his time had not come. And Jesus just walked straight past those people like they weren't there. And they did not touch him. The only two times in history when men ever put their hands on our Lord was at his baptism and at his death. That is very powerful to understand. Because both events were him being obedient to the Father. Both events changed history. Both events changed you and me. Jesus became obedient to death, even death on a cross. We read in Philippians chapter 2. 
just the same as he was obedient in baptism, now he becomes obedient in death. And he allows men to take him. He allows them to strip him. He allows him to beat him. He allows them to spit on him. He allows them to nail a thorn of crowns into his head. He enables them to make him carry a cross down the Via Dolorosa. He enables them. He lets them. Because Jesus could have stopped this at any time. Jesus could have called down heaven and stopped it in an instant. Instead, he chose to allow men to take his hands and nail them to a cross. He chose to allow men to take his feet and nail them to a cross. He chose to allow men to put him up. He chose to allow men to mock him and scorn him. He chose to allow men to thrust a spear into his side. And why? Because you and I were lost in our sins. Because you and I needed him to do that. Make no mistake about it. No one ever laid a finger on Jesus unless he let him. And the two points of his ministry, the beginning and the end, it's like a bookend. He allowed men to lay his hand on him for baptism. He allowed men to lay hands on him to his death. We all know he rose again, which is fabulous news. It's the best thing. He rose again. It's a fabulous, fabulous thing. But this morning, that's not what I want to talk about. So we're only just starting. I know everyone's stressed about time. It's 11 o'clock. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to jump straight to Romans chapter 5. So this is, again, a long passage of Scripture, so you need to follow it in your Bible. If I say anything wrong, just snicker. Don't say anything out loud, okay? Romans chapter 5, verse 18 says this, Consequently, just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men, so also the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. For just as though the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. The law was given so that the trespasses might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him like this in death, we will certainly, certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old selves were crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin. 
and alive to God in Jesus Christ. That is an incredible passage of scripture that you could preach on for six months. There is so much spiritual truth in there, it's incredible. And the book of Romans is like that. You could, you could preach for 20 years on the book of Romans and it's just an incredible book. And I encourage you just to read it again and again and again and again and again. You, you always, every time you read it, every time you open your eyes in the book of Romans, you get a new revelation. So what I want to do is just share a couple of brief things from that passage of Scripture, and it's not going to take long. A couple of quick points. We read in the first part, For just as though the disobedience of one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. Now we all know the book of Genesis. We all know the story of Adam and Eve. And they were in the garden and they walked with God in the cool of the day. And um, Adam and Eve sinned. Well, you know, the book, book tells us that Adam sinned. So Adam sinned. He was the head. He was in charge. He's, it was his responsibility. And that sin, if you read the book of Genesis, that sin is the beginning of a slippery slope. And um, that slippery slope brings humanity into incredible sin. You know, um, it starts off with simply taking a, a piece of fruit off the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And um, as you read through the book of Genesis, you see um, Cain killing Abel. Verse 5 and 6 of uh, chapter 6 says this, The Lord saw how great men's wickedness on the earth had become, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the heart was only for evil at all times. The Lord was grieved that he had made man. And his heart was filled with pain. What an incredible description of how God felt. You know, God created man to walk with him and, and sin and got worse and worse and worse and worse and worse until God says that every inclination in the heart is just a sin. They were inventing ways to sin. They were looking for ways to sin. They would share ways to sin over the internet. Oh, sorry, they didn't have that then. But they would be sharing. I mean, the internet these days, it does exactly the same thing. It just shares ways to sin. But um, that's what was happening at that era and that time. If you, if you look at how modern era and you look at what happens in the world and you shake your head and you go, how bad must have that been? How bad must have that been that God's heart was grieved? You know? But God's allowed a remnant in this age, a, a holy people, you and I, to live and to act and to pray and to seek and save the lost. That's our role. That's what we should be doing. But in that point of time, the disobedience of that one man, that simple act of taking the fruit from the tree, of doing something he was told not to do, that simple act of eating it, it started a, an avalanche of sin. And that avalanche of sin went through the history of the world. It, you know, nations would rise up against nation, people against people, people would kill, steal, kill and destroy, basically doing the devil's work for, for him. And it was that disobedient act that started the whole thing. But Jesus' obedience stopped it. Stopped it in its tracks. Now, don't be mistaken, they're not the same thing. Adam done one simple sin. It was just one thing. And sin started to breathe and live in people and started to take control and the world became what it was. So Adam's disobedience was one act jesus's obedience covered all the acts of sin for all the world throughout every era of history 
the obedience was far greater than the disobedience. They're not equal. They're not on a level playing field. Because the obedience that Jesus committed and showed on the cross was something that changed the world forever. Just the same as the obedience that he did in baptism also changed it. The obedience that Jesus displayed on the cross, the sacrifice of his life was so powerful that it dealt with every sin once and for all. Literally, from the time Jesus died until now, people's spiritual DNA has been rewritten when they accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. We are no longer slaves to sin. Romans 6.6 6 says this, For we know that our old selves, our old selves were crucified with Christ, so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. But anyone who has died has been freed from sin. This morning when the people go down in, in, in baptism, one of the things that the Bible tells us is that, uh, and we're going to talk about this soon, there's a, there's a representation between when Jesus died and the, the hands of men put him in a tomb to when we baptize the people and we put him in the water, that that old self is done away with and buried in that water. When you come up out of that water, that old self doesn't come back with you. It is dead, it is buried once and for all. The people that are being baptized today have made that decision that that's what they want for their lives. They want to declare to the world, no longer am I a slave to sin. The sin that I once lived is now dead, it's buried, it's in the ocean. I love baptizing people in the ocean because metaphorically it's really good because that water goes out straight away into the ocean. You know, it's not just that you're, you're dipping them and that it's staying there. As soon as you lift them up, it's already gone from away their feet. It's already dissipated. It's already little bits of water in a great ocean. And when we baptize people, there is something supernatural that happens that allows people to live outside the sin that used to bind them together. Uh, bind them up, sorry. The next thing I want to point out in chapter 6, verse 3 is this. Or do you not know that all of us, everyone say all of us, who were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him. The baptism that we as a church will witness today are baptisms of repentance. Uh, sorry, are not baptisms of repentance the way that uh, John the Baptist did it. Our repentance comes from acknowledging that we are sinners, that Christ died for us, and that by accepting Jesus into our lives as our Lord and Savior, at that very point, we are a new creation. What baptism is, is an acknowledgement that we are burying the old self. It's a watershed moment in how history, just as it was in the history of Jesus and in the history of the world, where we're saying that old self is gone. I'm making my decision today not to walk that way anymore, not to walk in the pattern of the world, but instead walk in the freedom that Jesus has afforded me through his death and resurrection. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, 19 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciles us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting men's sins against him. You know, as soon as we get saved, we become righteous in the eyes of God. And, a, and it's a righteousness that's not ours. It's not that we've earned our place in heaven. It's not that we've earned our place in the good books with God. 
But by aligning ourselves with Christ, there is a righteousness that operates in our lives where God sees us as if we had not sinned. And what baptism does inside our hearts, inside our lives, declaring to the world, I don't want that anymore. I don't want that old life anymore. I've made a decision to follow Jesus and now I'm making another commitment. And that commitment is that old self is going to stay in that water. It's going to be washed out to the sea and I'm never going to see it again. In baptism, there should be this moment of clarification that comes that Jesus is my Lord and King. Him I will follow forever. In Galatians 2, 9, 12 says this, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in body form. And you have been given the fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. In Him you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with a circumcision done by hands of men, but with circumcision done in the heart, having been buried with Him in baptism. And raised with him through faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. This morning, do not be mistaken. Do not be mistaken. If you're being baptized today, you are burying that old self. It is going into that ocean. It will be washed away forever. Point three, the final thing I want to talk about. I'm almost finished. Romans chapter 6 verse 5 says this. If... We have been united with him like this in death. We will certainly, everyone say certainly, certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. The baptism and death of Jesus stands as bookends of his ministry, as I've said earlier. Within both these events, we see God present in a real sense. In the baptism, we've already heard that the heavens were torn open, that the Holy Spirit came down, and that we heard the words from heaven, well done, my good and faithful servant. What I want to do now is I just want to read a scripture from Matthew 27. And I want to just let you um, understand what God was doing when Jesus was dying. For the sixth hour until the ninth hour, darkness came over all the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a voice, Elohe, Elohe, lama sabanthah, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a stick and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, no, leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes down to save him. And when Jesus cried out in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, God interacts with humanity again. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split. The tombs broke open. The body of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs and after Jesus' resurrection, they came into the city and appeared to many people. When the centurions and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, surely, surely he was the son of God. Now these Roman soldiers that crucified Jesus, they were old soldiers that weren't uh, strong enough or fit enough to fight in the army anymore they were just sent away on a pension and sent out to just uh, look after any local skirmishes that sent out so these were hardened battle warriors they had seen death they had killed people they had blood and guts all over them they had seen so many people die at the hands of the roman army that their consciences were sheared forever 
to them, death was nothing. They dealt with it every day of the week. When Jesus was crucified, he wasn't the only one. There was a whole heap of them. It was a, it was a thing that happened every week. They'd just take out a whole bunch of people, stake them to a cross, crucify them. And what that was, that was showing the people that Rome was still in charge. So these soldiers weren't slouching. They knew all about death. They knew all about pain. They knew all about suffering. And the Bible says that they were terrified. These hardened warriors that, that, that stood in a Roman line with a sword in their hand and run to the enemy were terrified. They were absolutely terrified. And their explanation, the only thing they, they could put on, the only answer they could give was surely this man is the son of God. Surely he is. There is no way this death could have happened any other way. I've seen things today that I've never seen before. Surely this man is the son of God. In Jesus' baptism and in his death, God was there. He was there in a supernatural and a powerful way. People saw it. People confessed that Jesus was Lord. People confessed that God was there. But the death of Jesus was not the end. It was merely a transition from Jesus' earthly ministry to the ministry of believers through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit and the birth of the church, which was referenced by the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, who rose from the dead on the third day. Death could not hold him down. It couldn't. It just couldn't. It couldn't keep its grip on him. And just as Jesus was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too live a new life. The old is gone, the new has come, it says. And when we're baptized and we're coming out of that water, we join Jesus in the resurrection. That's what we do. The coming up out of the water is the same as the tombstone rolling back. We join Jesus in the resurrection and the power that was displayed on that day. God is so good to us. He is so good to us. It is indescribable how good God is to us. He gave His one and only Son so that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. And that Son suffered. But that Son chose to suffer. He was obedient. The people that are getting baptized today are being obedient. Again, Matthew 28 says, Go, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we're going to go down to that ocean and we're going to have a great time. And I, I am believing in my heart and spirit that God's going to turn up. I believe God's going to turn up. Just the same as he turned up when Jesus was baptized. Just the same as he turned up when Jesus died. Just the same as he turned up when Jesus was resurrected. I believe Jesus is going to turn up. And I believe he's going to touch the hearts of the people who are getting baptized. And we're going to see some great things happen. Romans 6 says, Therefore we've been buried with him through baptism into death, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. Even so, we also walk around with this newness of life. For those people getting baptized this morning, you'll be walking out of that water today with a newness of life. You'll have an extra spring in your step, an extra smile on your face. Ephesians 1, 1 18, 23 says this, it's Paul speaking. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparable great power for us who believe. 
that power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly realms, far above the rulers, authorities, powers, dominions, and every title that can be given, not only in this present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is the body, the fullness of him who fills everything indeed. You know, when Jesus rose again, it says there that it is the power of God that exerted when Christ rose from the dead. That same power, you and I, every one of you and I, have also if we're baptized in the Holy Spirit. This morning, I believe, this afternoon, I believe that as we baptize people, there's going to be something that happens. There's going to be a supernatural altercation between God and man. And I believe that because that's what the Bible says. I don't believe it just because I want it to happen, and I want it to happen. I believe it because that's what the Word of God says. It's the example of our Savior. And that's what I believe we will see. So we are a new creation. Our baptism, the old self is buried. The resurrection life comes when we lift it out of that water. His incomparable great power lives in us. Today, we're going we're gonna to baptize a number of people. And we're going to do that because the Bible tells us to do it. Jesus told us to do it. If you haven't been baptized yet, it's never too late. 14, 20, it doesn't matter to me. This means we've got to stay in the water a little bit longer. If you haven't been baptized and you want to get baptized today, come and see me afterwards. I'll share a few scriptures with you, a few patches of scripture. We'll make sure that you're doing it for the right reasons and you can join us. You know, one of the things about the Ethiopian um, in the book of Acts, the Ethiopian's traveling along and he's reading the book of Isaiah and um, Philip runs up next to him. And he's driving along the chariot and Philip runs up next to him. I'm not sure if the chariot was really slow or Philip was really fast, but somehow he did it. I'm not quite sure how. And Philip goes, what you reading? And he goes, well, I'm trying to understand this. He goes, can you help me? He goes, yeah, jump aboard. So he jumps on top. And he says, well, let me tell you about it. It's about Jesus. Jesus died. He rose again. The eunuch stops and says, well, there's some water. Let's do it. Why do we have to wait? Let's get baptized right now. Philip said, okay, let's do it. They went down the water. They baptized him. And as the man came up, Philip disappeared. Boom, done. Job done. I hope this morning I won't disappear. But if you haven't been baptized and you want to be today, come and see me. I encourage you to join us. I really do. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'm going to ask the musicians to come up now. My encouragement to you is to come and talk to one of the pastors today. Pastor Bob, Pastor Caroline, come and talk to one of them today. You know, Jesus died. He gave his life so we could have life. As I said earlier, his sacrifice was so powerful that it dealt with every sin over every age forevermore. You know, if the Lord should tarry and he doesn't come back for another 20,000 years, Jesus' sacrifice is still enough. It's still enough. You might be sitting here today, you might be saying in your mind, but pastor, you don't know what's going on. You don't know what I've done. You don't know how bad I've been. <laughs> Jesus does. Jesus does. Martin Luther, I love history, and Martin Luther is probably one of my favorite characters. Martin Luther one day was called to explain why he 
wanted to believe in the Bible instead of an organization. And what Martin Luther did was Martin Luther argued and argued and argued with these people that basically didn't have the right theology. And in the end, they said, okay, you have to give up believing in Jesus and you've got to believe in this church. And Martin Luther said, well, I don't want to lose the church. So what he did was he said, let me go to the library and think about this. Martin Luther went up to the library. He got the Bible out. He started reading it. After a number of hours, Martin Luther walked back into that jury, that judge. There was a whole judge thing going on. And they said, Martin Luther, what are you going to do? Martin Luther beat his chest. And he said, here I stand. I can't do anything else. Because Jesus died for me. This morning, Jesus died for you. I'm going to ask everyone to stand up. We're going to ask the musicians to play. This morning, if you don't know Jesus is your Lord and Savior, then everyone's going to bow their heads and close their eyes, and we're not trying to embarrass anyone. But if you don't know Jesus is Lord and Savior, and what I've said today has touched your, your heart and your spirit, or, or if you've been a Christian for a while and you've walked away from God and, and you want to you know, sort of reconnect, then this morning's your morning. This morning's your morning. I'm going to ask everyone to bow their heads. And I'm going to ask you that if you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior and you want to, and you want to, to live this resurrection power, you want to, you want to kill that old self, that, that old self that does the wrong thing every opportunity it gets. If you want to do away with that old self that has destroyed your life, then I want you to put your hand up really quickly so I can see it. So all you got to do is slip your hand up. It's not difficult. It's not hard. I'll come and talk to you afterwards. And we'll say a little prayer together. I'm not going to embarrass you by dragging you to the front, but I'm more than happy to sit there and pray with you. So if there's anyone at all, put your hands up. Amen. What I really want to do this morning is I just want to encourage everyone to live a new life to live in that resurrection power of God the same power that took Jesus from the tomb and raised him to life Christ died for you he died for me and this morning I believe he's saying that we're not living the way we should we're not living according to the power of his Holy Spirit we struggle and we strive to do what's right. But the Bible tells me clearly that's not the way it's meant to be. The Bible tells me clearly that we are more than conquerors. The Bible tells me clearly that we are a new creation. The Bible tells me clearly that we are overcomers. So if you're here this morning and, and, and you've been struggling on the inside and you want to just say to God this morning, I've struggled. I'm putting my hand up. I'm standing and I'm declaring that you are my God and my King and I will never leave nor forsake you. Jesus, we thank you for this morning. We thank you, Lord, for your word, Lord. We thank you for the uh, music, Lord, and the, and, the, and the time we've had together as a church, Lord. But more importantly, Lord, we thank you for meeting with us, Lord. This morning, Lord, I just pray, Lord, for my brothers and my sisters in Christ. I pray that you would bless them, Lord, in every way, in every spiritual blessing, Lord. I pray that you would empower them through the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, to live a life that is worthy of the price you paid for it, Lord. 
And I thank you for each and every one of them, Lord. I ask that you empower them by your might, Lord, to do your will. And Lord, I thank you for your obedience, Lord. Your obedience that took away my discipline. This morning, Lord, I thank you for that. I'm going to ask the musicians to sing a few songs. The last song we sung. And then uh, I'm going to be up the front here and I'm going to pray for people if they want prayer. Um, you don't have to come up to get prayed for. But if you feel that God's talking to you this morning, then I want to pray for you. And then we're just going to close the meeting. We've got uh, coffee and that out there. If you're a visitor, there's a visitor's lounge over on your over on that side, your right-hand side at the back. And um, please join. Please go there for a cup of coffee. It'll be free. Um, but if you want prayer this morning, come up the front and we'll just let the band play. Thank you.